0: Hello, yeah, duh, uh, 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 is this thing on? I, uh, I realized I've never made a, like a, call it like a, like a mic joke before on this show. Maybe, that, maybe that's not true, I probably have. Uh, hello, um, uh, mic check, <laughs> one, two, one, two, welcome to PH5, um, Episode, uh, I don't know what episode this is. Um, I think it's like maybe, maybe, maybe like eleven or, or twelve uh, of this year. Anyway, twenty twenty two. And um, for those avid listeners, you guys know that this week, this this month, this episode, it's confusing because, um. It is a monthly show until we get to this time of year and it uh you know all rules and regs kind of go out the window and it's like the the wild wild west of um PH5 podcasting you know just anarchy over here in um PH5 studios because uh you know we kind of throw the script out the window and um you know anything kind of goes here As we approach the end of the season. Um, And as I was saying, I guess, uh, today we begin the most important part of the entire podcast and the most important part of uh, music listening in general, I guess. And that is the year-end list. Um, There's really no point in listening to music. At all, unless uh, you are kind of tabulating everything that you're listening to towards this year end list. I mean, this is why I wake up in the morning on January 1st and anxiously scrounge the internet for news of new releases because it's it's all about just, uh, it's not even about enjoying the music, it's about just getting to a point where you can list it in an an arbitrary order um, placing importance on on some things that are completely different than other things uh, for no real reason Um, we've certainly been you know brainwashed into listing Uh, I think I mentioned this on one episode last season might have been the first ever episode but a quote that has always stuck with me, that I read on a, a Facebook comment once, was uh, men love making lists, and uh, that's, just, that's just what I am, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm a list-making man, at the end of the day, as much as I try to appear or come off as anything but, that's just, that's really just who I am. So, um, I can't deny who I am. This is what it's all about. Uh, so, over the past, uh, let's say, week or two, I've been, you know, studiously revisiting all of my favorite records from this past year and, uh, very meticulously ordering them from one to twenty-five. And thus, we have the PH 5x5. Um, Because 5x5 is 25, and there's 25 albums here. And it's just a uh, neat and um, clever way of integrating the uh, title of the show into the list format that I will be presenting. Um, So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to go through, it's going to be a two-parter. Uh, two-parter episode, that is, in case you weren't clear in what I was referring to there. And essentially, essentially, I will be doing numbers 25 to 11 this episode. Um, Interesting to note that the uh, similar episode of this one from last season, uh, the 25 to 11 episode of last season, was pretty far and away, uh, the least listened to or downloaded episode, so it's pretty clear that no one actually really gives a shit about number 25 to 11, I mean, I'm sure no one really gives a shit about the list in general, but people can at least, like, kind of pretend to care about my top 10 albums, no one really cares about these other ones, um, but you know what, that's fine. It's all about due process. It's all about, uh, you know, just staying organized and, uh, sticking to the script and sticking to the schedule, even though I, uh, mentioned just a few minutes earlier that, uh, all of that is going out the window. Um, yeah. So, I, 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 don't expect many people will be checking this episode out, but for those of you who will be, uh, nice! Thanks! Thanks for listening. Um, so kind of like last year, you know, it's interesting to me because, uh, I, I am me and it's kind of interesting to see how things change throughout the year. You know, um, for example, there are, I believe two of my previous number one records from this year, um, that aren't even on this list at all. Whereas, there are records that are on this list that were not even mentioned before. Now, that being said, that's because the record came out in December, and uh, I didn't really do a PH5 for December. I could have. You know, there's actually been a pretty decent amount of pretty interesting records released this month. So, I could have done it. But I chose not to, because then all of a sudden it's like I'm doing... What, like, three episodes this month? Um, yeah. Ain't nobody got time for that. As, uh, the old meme goes. So, fuck that. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to go right into the top of the year. And you know what? If those December records were good enough to be talked about, then they'll be included in this 25 list. And if they aren't, then what's the point of even talking about them anyway? But then that just kind of contradicts the entire point of the show. Because, of course, there are tons of records that I've previously talked about this year. uh, That are not going to be present in this list. So, uh... You know, weird how it all kind of goes, isn't it? It's just some strange stuff. Well, this has been a fun intro. Um... What do you guys say we get into it? I'm gonna aim to have this be a shorter episode today. Um, I mean, no one's gonna listen to this one anyway, so uh, no sense in wasting my time, <laughs> right? Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go and talk about my top 25 to number 11 albums of the year, and uh, you know, maybe in a week week or two uh, we will go back and we will talk about the top 10. And uh maybe people will actually listen to that one. So as always, thank you so much for joining. This is Phil May of PH5 uh, talking about the top 25 records of 2022 uh, numbers 25 to 11. And before I get started, I want to make it clear as I as I, I feel the need to, um, as with every month's list, as with uh, last year's list, as with this year's list, this isn't necessarily what I think the best records are from this year um, because clearly the best record of this year was beyonce, right um, this is just my favorite my top twenty five favorite records of this year and Maybe they're my favorite because I think they're really good, or maybe they're my favorite because I just really like them for some reason. So, you know, you can hate on my list all you want, but, I mean, then you're just hating on one guy's subjective opinion on things. And, uh, that's just kind of a waste of time. Um, I'm not saying this is the objective best. It's my favorite. I'm sure you have a different favorite. Um... Now, whether your favorite 25 is closer to the objective best 25 than mine is a different story. But, uh, you know, we don't need to get into that. Let's just have some fun. Here we go. PH5, thanks for listening. Okie dokie! So let's get started! Woo! Okay! This is fun. I'm having fun. We're going to have fun today. So. Coming in at number 25 for the year of 2022, we have Boldy James Killing Nothing. Now, I want to kind of say something about this before I kind of talk about the record itself. Um, The reason why I've picked this particular record is because I believe it is the best that he has released this year now that being said the main reason why I wanted to include Boldy James in this top 25 was that he has become probably the most reliable consistent rapper out there right now if you take a look at the you know quantity versus quality ratio so Boldy James actually released four albums this year Um, Killing Nothing was the first one. Uh, But then he also released Fair Exchange No Robbery, Mr. 1008, and Be That As It May, uh, just a few days ago. And the thing is, while I do believe Killing Nothing is the best of the four, all four of these records were great. And, you know, so... I wanted to kind of give Boldy this spot as just like a shout-out to him being so reliable. Like, you know, you know when this guy is gonna drop, you know it's gonna be a great record, you know the music's gonna be fantastic. Um It's just, you know, it's just like blue collar, like, you know, shows up to work, does his job well, and you know, not many like that out there these days, you know? So Again, while I'm picking Killing Nothing because I didn't want to be a cop-out and include all four records, um, I really do kind of also think that it's about his entire year and not just this one record that I really want to highlight. But getting into Killing Nothing specifically... um, So each of the records that he releases here, he... Uh, ...worked solely with one producer for. So, four different producers, four different albums. Uh, And part of the reason why this record, I believe, to be the best of the four... ...and one of the best hip-hop albums released this year... ...is a lot to do with the actual production. Um, The production just really sounds really alive and animated on this record which is kind of important because Boldy as a rapper is kind of very laid back sounding Um, I would never call him an energetic type of rapper Um, he's kind of one of those you know slow, smooth talking guys Um, he's probably like the coolest sounding rapper out there right now and just kind of how nonchalant he talks about Drugs and, you know, death and all this kind of shit. Uh, but in order to kind of keep the music as interesting as possible, you need production to kind of act as your counterpart to that kind of style. And the production on this record, I think, is really suiting because it's it's, it's lively and uh, it, it, it feels like it's counterbalancing kind of the cool, calm, and collected nature of Boldy by, you know, bringing life to the music. And it creates this really great contrast um, that Boldy just sounds great against. And when you listen to this and you listen to the other three, again, the other three are great, but this really feels like the one that he tried the hardest on. Um, you know, the, the production, like the vocal mixing seems a little bit more um, polished, there are more kind of effects to be found. Um. The actual guests on this one are a little bit more notable, we'll say, than on the other three. There's a great Stove God Cooks feature, who is a absolute featured darling. I mean, if you get this guy in your song, you know you've, you've got a hit in your hands immediately. Like, just a, a, a featured goat, as they will say. Um. And yeah, it just feels like the most well-rounded, most well-thought-out of all the albums he releases here. I mean, again, you gotta hand it to him for being able to release so many records and have them all being great. But the problem with releasing four records in a year is that you don't really have the time to, you know, like I said, polish them or make them complete, whole-sounding projects. So, yeah, um, this, is, this is the best of the four, and again, why I wanted to highlight it, but I'd say Boldy James is, is on what will be looked back on as a pretty legendary run um, that started, honestly, in 2020. Uh, he's just been releasing fantastic albums at a high rate, and the quality has just been solid throughout. Um, so we need to just not take this guy for granted. We want to make sure that Boldy James is getting his flowers while he's still, say, in the peak of his uh, output era. So, yeah. Shout out to Boldy James. Keep going, man. You're absolutely killing it. Sooner or later, the rest of the more mainstream world will maybe catch on, maybe not. Who cares? You've carved out quite the niche for yourself now, and... uh Yeah, you're one of the best in those niches. So, coming in at number 25 for 2022 is Boldy James, Killing Nothing, but also shout out to the other three that he released, because those are all awesome too. All right, coming in at number four, we have, number four, wow. I skipped a lot, and uh, I, I've gone forward in time because we're not even talking about number four uh, today. Uh, coming in at number twenty-four, we have Scarcity with a valet again. Okay. It's been months, and I still don't know how to properly pronounce that uh, that album title. So this was another record that uh, I don't know why I said another. Uh, I haven't I haven't talked about any other records that uh, fall into this particular category, but this year in particular, we had uh, my good pal Bob McCulley, aka of, on the show a few times to talk about some records, and this was one of them. So this was one of Bob's recommendations to me that I checked out and absolutely fell in love with. Um... And as, as kind of months have gone on, it's not one of those records that I've gone back to a lot. It's not exactly, like, you know, uh, about replay value, per se. Um, It's not brim, it's not chock full of hooks, (laughs) you know? Uh, But I think it's still a really special record because of just the way that it kind of makes you feel and and the emotion portrayed on this record so it is a like kind of like you know thematic record in a way dealing with loss and grief and as such it doesn't really follow traditional song structures in any way I mean as you know most black metal albums or songs do but it's more free-flowing and, and more kind of um follows like a, a a trajectory or a you know like a what's the word i'm looking for i don't know what it is but it follows a path that isn't necessarily one dictated by logic it's one more dictated by emotion because that is essentially what the record is all about and because of that it kind of ebbs and flows uh, throughout its runtime but that's kind of what grief is like you know it it it's not just one linear kind of passage that you take when you feel grief it's about feeling overwhelmed and then you know having that kind of pull away for a bit and then you know feeling overwhelmed again and and you know it's 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 not hard i mean sorry it is hard to kind of track the passage of these things just like this album can be kind of hard to track the passage of, you know, the the song structures, the, the the way that everything kind of fits together, it's kind of one long expression that's kind of split up into chunks to, I don't know, make it easier to hit next on um, when you're listening to it, I guess. But it's an incredibly effective record, um, and definitely one of the best, if not the best, pure... I don't want to say pure, because it's not pure, but um, Black Metal Records this year, because it really, you know, it really uses its form as its function. You know, if you think about the genre itself, the whole idea of it is that it eschews traditional song structures and whatnot in place of, you know, blast beats and, and, um, you know tremello riffing and 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 just onslaughts of oral assaults that you hear There's no verse chorus and you know when you are making a record that's about a an emotion as profound as grief and, and what it's like to deal with grief uh, it makes sense to use black metal as kind of your 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 tool to do so because it's a genre, it's a form of art that is inherently formless. Like, you know, the way that dealing with emotion can be. So it just kind of makes sense, you know, and you listen to this and if you've ever experienced, you know, periods of extreme grief, you you'll recognize this sound as as kind of that feeling. Um This record is what it feels like to go through intense pain. Um, And just kind of all the, you know, thematic whatever aside, the way that it's executed is just brilliant. Um, Again, the guy who kind of wrote most of the music is a composer, kind of as his daytime thing. That's, That's a lot of what he does is work in composition, and you hear that composer's touch in this music you know a lot of the times you're listening to this and you're like is that a guitar or is that a violin you know and, and and the the album flows through movements instead of songs as such and getting getting the vocalist in who is just such a professional in the extreme metal scene to lay down these vocals that are just kind of griming with acid the same way that the music is uh, just a brilliant move Um, for all parties, and it really is an astounding, majestic, emotional record that, again, like I said initially, you're not going to go back to a lot, but every time that you do, um, you're going to feel its weight. So, coming in at number 24, we have Scarcity with uh, Aviolute. I think I've said the title differently every single time I've ever mentioned it. (laughs) coming in at number 23 we have candy heaven is here oh heaven's here oh that's that's convenient um where (laughs) i'm looking around and i'm not really seeing it and isn't that just the irony of the album title um you know heaven isn't here (laughs) i don't think Uh, Or it is, and we've been fooled about what heaven is supposed to be. Because if this is what heaven is, can you even imagine what hell is? Goodness gracious me. Um, And the, you know, that kind of delicious irony of the album title is the point, in a way, you know? Um, Because listening to this album, it does not sound like your traditional notion of uh, heaven. that's, That's for sure. It is a nasty, snarling piece of hardcore that is not afraid to get as noisy and disgusting as it possibly can so what separates this album apart from kind of the other slew of hardcore releases from this year and there have been a lot and there have been a lot of great hardcore albums this year um i'll talk about another one later but uh, what kind of makes this one special and different is has a lot to do with, um, I'd say, a mix of the, the songwriting and the production. Because they've worked with Arthur Rizik to produce the album, who is notable for working with Power Trip on their last album. And what he does is he brings this really industrial, noisy edge to the music and whether or not they had the songs kind of written already like this or whether or not they kind of uh you know tinkered with and and tweaked the songs to play into Rizik's production style um you really get this synergistic effect of the songwriting and the production to create a absolute monstrosity of a record um for example, you know, uh, there are not one but two songs on here that are honestly more industrial songs than they are hardcore. You know, they've got those big industrial beats. Um, it's hard to say if what you're hearing are guitars. is more just like kind of swarming masses of noise. Um, the, the vocals throughout the album are heavily reverberated and stacked and the last song in the album 10 minutes long it's just pure noise it's just a pure noise deconstruction of the band sound it's it's bold it's at times kind of frightening and horrifying uh but it's really effective and you think to yourself what what does an album title like heaven is here mean Especially when you're listening to such kind of, you know, (laughs) I don't want to say negative, but like vicious music. That's such a deep contrast between, you know, the notion of heaven in this. And obviously it's ironic, like I mentioned, but you can only get away with having kind of a tongue-in-cheek, silly album title like Heaven Is Here if you're really weighing down on the hellish vibes and atmosphere of the music and that's exactly what they've done and again obviously this is a band that is into being ironic they are literally called Candy um, and it's just an extremely effective way of kind of showcasing the, the rotten nature of the world that we live in by you know showcasing it through this duality of, of heaven and hell and you know, the sweetness of candy and the kind of bitter harshness of their sound because that's just kind of um, what life is like now, you know, where we're constantly faced with these really harsh dichotomies of, you know, the rich and the poor or, you you know, the hardships of society versus people who are just too well off that it's almost disgusting. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later with another record that you know really really exemplifies that. Um But yeah, we'll get to that later. There's no rush, no rush for now. Um But yeah, it's this is just another one of those records from this year that has really through the power of, you know, extreme disgusting music really exemplified the disgusting nature of our current uh, society <laughs> is, is uh, how I'm going to put it. It's also just a great record. Lots of fun. So coming in at number 23 for 2022, we have Candy, Heaven is Here. Coming in at number 22 is... Panda Bear and Sonic Boom Reset. So this is an interesting record because this came out in August, and I didn't do an episode in August. Uh, yeah, I was just brutally depressed and couldn't really do it. But the other reason why, and I mentioned this on my September episode, was because August was just a fucking gaping void of any good music releases. Seriously, like, nothing good came out except this album. Um, and as such, this album got a lot of airplay from me in the month of August. So, how good actually is this album? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's it's circumstantial, the fact that I listen to it so much. What if August had had a lot of great album releases. Would I have spent as much time with this record? And subsequently, would this record have grown on me as much as it did uh, because I spent so much time with it? Who knows? So, you know, there's a possibility that this album is getting placement not necessarily because of its quality, but because of the absence of other quality surrounding it. Does that make sense? It's kind of like, uh, you know, in like basketball, for example, you have like a team that's really, really bad, but then you have one guy who's pretty good and he looks really, really good because the rest of the team is really, really bad. But then say maybe that guy gets traded to a team where the rest of the team is actually good. Then all of a sudden, he's not looking too hot anymore, you know? He's not the all-star that he used to be because, you know, he's not surrounded by fucking bums anymore. Anyway, it's kind of rude of me to spend the first little bit of my uh, discussion on this album talking about how it might not even be that good. (laughs) Because I think it is pretty good. But context is important, and I also just haven't had a chance to talk about this album yet because... Again, I didn't do an episode the month that it came out. So, you know, here's me talking about it. Um, the other interesting thing about this record is that... It came out the same year that Animal Collective had... What a lot of people are calling, like... You know, their kind of comeback album. Uh, Time Skiffs. And, uh, if you don't know, Panda Bear is a member of Animal Collective. And Animal Collective had gone through... I'd say almost like a rough decade, in that they were releasing a lot of bad music, or at least music that wasn't connecting with people the way that uh, their their older stuff has. And this was seen by many as a return to form. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't like Time Skiffs that much, if I'm being honest. I really liked that last song, Royal and Desire. Uh, But otherwise, it really didn't make that much of an impression on me. I saw them live. The songs were great live. And they play a lot of new, new songs that they haven't released yet live. I know they've got, like, another record in the chamber. And those songs sound great. So I'm really stoked for that album. But I wasn't as sold on Times Gifts as, say, the rest of the music world was. Um, And it was funny, because this album came out. And to me, this is by far the superior record of the two. But I seem to be maybe the only person that thinks that. Um, but I think this is a fantastic record. It sees Panda Bear uh, teaming up with Sonic Boom as he's done in the past, but for the first time, Sonic Boom is getting equal billing to create a collection of like some of the most astoundingly simple pop songs that Uh, either of the two parties have ever created. Uh, All the songs are based around loops from old kind of 60s and 70s recordings. And the whole idea is just finding the magic in that loop and building off of it. And you can hear in every single song how they found these loops and how they kind of built them and built songs off of these loops. And it's a testament to kind of the ear for quality and, and the ear for Um, hooks, and and the ear for, again, not to sound stupid, but the ear for magic that Panda Bear has, because the way that he's able to find these kind of, you know, one bar, two bar, four bar loops, and build entire songs off of them is special. But you hear these loops, the songs usually start off with a loop before they get kind of built upon, and you see where they're coming from, because... These loops, they all sound great. And they all sound like they have so much potential in them. So, you know, shout out to these guys for finding them and working with them the best that they possibly can and creating, you know, new mini masterpieces out of these kind of old fragments of songs. Um, the album is so simple, it, it almost sounds like nursery rhymes at a time. Uh, but that's part of the appeal. And, you know, again, when this album came out, I I was kind of in a weird spot. And the simplistic nature of this album, um, the almost, like, dissociative clarity that this album has was really helpful sometimes. Like, I would just kind of sit there and lie down and and listen to it and, like, let myself drift away to these easy melodies and, and, and... it's just, it's like, I mean, it's like candy, but not like the band candy that I just talked about, I'm talking about like actual candy, like sweet, a lot of sweetness in this record, um, and I, I really think it's one of the best records that anyone in Animal Collective has released in quite some time, definitely better than, uh, Boys, Panda Bear's last record, So, I mean, if you think about it, it's probably the best, in my opinion, of course, and co-related record in... almost a decade. So, shout-out to Panda Bear. You know, he still got it. Glad to hear it. Shout-out to Sonic Boom, finally getting that recognition. He has some vocals on this, too, and he sounds great, next to Panda. Yeah. Great record. August sucked, but this record didn't. So... Um, coming in at number 22, we have Panda Bear and Sonic Boom Reset. Coming in at number 21, we have Young KO with DFTK. So, something that I found interesting to me... (laughs) Uh, and I think I mentioned this last year, is slowly but surely, um, I guess I'm just kind of losing interest in hip-hop. Or, uh, hip-hop is losing interest in being good. (laughs) Uh, I I just... I only have, I think, three hip-hop records on this list this year. Last year, I think, was the same. Same situation. If not, even less. Uh, And, I mean, if I think back to few years ago, I mean, I'd say at least half of my lists would have been comprised of hip-hop records, but either I'm growing out of it, or the quality just isn't there, um, but I think the real reason is that, you know, hip-hop peaked, or at least this, you know, new form of hip-hop has peaked in a lot of ways, and the, the creative juices are kind of running out. Um... I also blame uh, Young Thug for being incarcerated, because if you ask me, Young Thug is the creative force behind modern hip-hop, and with him off the scene, you know, uh, there's just no one really there to kind of take his place. Except maybe Young K.O., which is uh, kind of why, one of the few reasons why he ended up in this position, because... Young KO does really seem to me like a true successor to Young Thug. And not necessarily because he's as weird and out there as Young Thug has been or can be. Um, Thug doesn't really do the weird out there thing as much anymore. Um, but, I mean, if you listen to older, older Thug, man, it is some of the weirdest music that, that has ever existed. And that weirdness really shaped hip hop in the way that it is now because like you can go back and listen to that stuff and it won't sound as weird anymore because so many artists sound like the way that he used to so but at the time i'm telling you this shit was groundbreaking and really fucked up and uh was blowing a lot of people's minds whereas now young thought could release barter barter six and you know it it, while people would still love it they wouldn't be blinking, you wouldn't be, you know, like, a. they wouldn't be giving as much double takes to it as they did when it first came out, and it fucking blew everyone's mind. Um, anyway, my point being, this isn't weird like Thug, but it has a lot of the same, uh, energy and, uh, melodic playfulness that Young Thug, um, still has in his music. And that's why I like this record, because the whole thing is just kind of this blaring neon soundscape. Um, the whole thing just kind of glows. And you look at the front, like the, the album art, and it's K.O. He, he looks almost alien, and he's in this weird alien environment. And, you know, the, the font's kind of hard to read. There are a lot of really... Neon y colors, and, and that's kind of what the record sounds like. Um, it almost does sound alien, but it's familiar enough to be extremely catchy uh, from start to finish. But there's just something about it that, again, sounds alien, and sounds foreign, and sounds like almost a transmission from this parallel universe where this really weird hip hop, you know, became kind of the norm. And that's always what Young Thug was successful at doing, was making things that were out there and and, and strange and, and, you know, alien sounding sound mainstream and kind of fit into the mold of what hip-hop is doing. And I hear a lot of that on this record. But without getting too heady about it all, it's also the most pure fun hip-hop record that I heard this year. I mean, you know... Um... There was that Flo Millie record. Um, ho, you, you still hear Ho? Or something like that? That was a lot of fun, for sure. And, you know, there, there were a few others that were that were fun. But in terms of just, like, I put this on, and the energy and the catchiness, but also the weirdness is... It's just a good time. And Young K.O. released an EP uh, just, like, a week or two ago. Wasn't nearly as effective, which really made me see that this record, DFTK, might have been a flash-in-the-pan instance. Like, we may not get another record like this from KO again, so I just want to appreciate it while I can, you know, before young KO potentially becomes, you know, maybe just another, you know, gunna clone or just another kind of trap rapper that... You know, isn't nearly as interesting anymore. But for this year, this record, um, to me, he it was the most fun that I've had. So, coming in at number 21, we have Young K.O. DFTK. Okay, I mean, I, I talked about wanting this to be a shorter episode, but uh, I'm only at number 20 and I'm more than 40 minutes in, so (laughs) yeah, sorry about that. I just can't help myself, you know? Um, so, coming in at number 20, we have Smidley. Here Comes the Devil. Uh, I talked about this record last month, so I'm sure it's still fresh on everyone's minds, so I don't need to talk too, too much about it. Instead, I want to talk about kind of the foxing effect and an indie rock and what it means to kind of be an indie rock artist in 2022 heading into 2023. So, foxing was, is, I guess, one of the most beloved, um, we'll say emo bands of the past decade or so. They released um, The Albatross. They released Dealer. And it all kind of came to a head with... um, uh, Nearer My God. Which, again, is a towering achievement of... Indie rock. But that's kind of the interesting thing. Because it was at that record that Foxing kind of... Transitioned from being an emo band to being an indie band. And I guess the reason behind that is there are certain almost limitations to the genre of emo where you can't incorporate too many other things into your sound because then all of a sudden you aren't emo anymore. Or you can still like sound whiny or whatnot, but, um, you know, that's just that's just white guys. <laughs> we, we can't help but sound whiny when we're singing most of the time. It's either we sound whiny or we sound like Aggressively macho there's there's not really many uh, in-betweens for us Uh, And it's about kind of the song structures and the instrumentation and and all these other aspects that you bring into it And so after they made that transition to kind of you know shooting for the stars emo band, uh, sorry indie band with nearer my god um, ironically they after shooting for the stars on uh near my god they released the album last year draw down the moon (laughs) that worked out well which is a full-on indie pop album like you can't say it's anything but it's great don't get me wrong it's really great um i like it not a lot of people did though because a lot of people saw it as kind of a play into uh you know a play for radio And, to be fair, a lot of the songs on there sound like they could be on the radio. On your classic, you know, indie radio station or whatever it may be. A lot of people thought, oh, they're selling out, you know, they're watering down their sound. Blah, 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 blah. I don't think it's that simple. I think it's the fact that Foxing knows that they have the capability to be more... um, and to reach higher statuses and the only way that they could do that is to grow and you know kind of shed their old skin and grow into something new. You can still be a great band while you know creating popular music that's going to appeal to more people. We've seen tons of bands do that over the years and Foxing's just kind of doing the same thing. So I just want to say shout out to Foxing for Drawdown the Moon. I love that you guys made that record. Good for you. Swing for the stars, make pop music if that's what you want to do. You guys are clearly really good at it because that album is catchy as hell. And I'm excited to see where they go next. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm not even talking about Foxing. Um, Smidley being uh, Connor Murphy from Foxing, this new record is kind of, kind of a step back. Back away from that direction, which makes sense. You'd think after making like a full-on indie pop record, you'd want to make something a little bit more out there. Um and this record is certainly a little bit more out there, but it also proves that Foxing is definitely not an emo band anymore because this is a very ostensibly indie rock album. I mean, there's a lots of different genres going on in here, but you couldn't call it. You couldn't really call it emo anymore. There, Connor is an indie guy now, and that's just. There's nothing wrong with that. We should be blessed that we got a record that is, as kind of, catchy as it is, but also is out there as this record is because, it is a concept record about you know. Again, also a concept record, kind of about grief and um, the devil. Being kind of a metaphor for dark times approaching. Um, it's weird that I had a like I just talked about a record called Heaven Is Here, and then not too long after, uh, here comes the devil. Say, so well, watch out, heaven, uh, the devil's coming, right? <laughs> Am I right, folks? Um, wow, I I I really went off the rails talking about this record. Uh, I don't have too much else to say. It's a great record. If you want to hear my thoughts on uh, Here Comes the Devil in full, you can check out the uh, the last episode of the show because I talked about it then. Um, but instead, I, I guess I would prefer to talk about a different band and uh, a different album for this. Smidley, Here Comes the Devil, coming in at number 20 on PH5 2022. And coming in at number 19, we have Dream Unending Song of Salvation. Um, Funnily enough, this was also a record that I talked about last show. Uh, But I think the order was the other way around, where this album was uh, number two that month. Uh, No, this album was number three that month, and the Smidley record was number two. But now I've reversed the order... So just goes to show you how quickly your opinions of things can change in a matter of uh, weeks. You know, it can it can change to the point where you're uh, putting it one less than than uh, your your previous. Wild stuff, right? Truly, truly wild stuff. So Dream on Ending again. I talked about it last month, so I'm not going to go into too much depth about it. Is What I'm going to call, I'm not the only one that called this, uh, Heaven Metal, from um, one of the guys from Tomb Mold, principal guy from Tomb Mold, and uh, uh, another guy who I I don't know his name or what he's from, sorry, but the thing again about this album that I talked about last month and, and really makes it special to me is that I don't know if I've ever heard a metal album this beautiful before in my life. It is just stunning. I believe the analogy I made last month when I talked about this was it sounds like if a bunch of angels made a death metal band. That's just what it sounds like. Give it a listen and tell me I'm wrong. Um, it's, It's a special record that is equally crushingly heavy and equally stunningly beautiful in a genre where beauty is often the opposite of the point so it's a bold move to you know attempt to create such beauty in a genre that is so kind of anti-beauty and make it work so well to the point where it is um Not only a great record, but one of the best metal records released this year. Um, Up there with the best, for sure. Again, not going to go into too much detail about this one, because I already talked about it. Um, But if you're looking for music that can kind of lull your baby to sleep, and then wake it up very jarringly, um, often within the same song, this is for you. And... I mean, I don't know what kind of person isn't looking for that type of music. So, there you go. Coming in at number 19, we have Dream Unending, Song of Salvation. Okay. Hello again. Coming in at number 18, and I believe we are about halfway through. Oh my god, and we're almost... I gotta gotta speed this up. Oh boy! Okay, coming in at number eighteen, we have Wake with Thought Form Descent, uh, Canadian band Shadow Canada. This is an interesting record for me because this is one that really grew on me. Um, I believe when this album came out, sometime in the summer, I liked it. I mentioned it in my uh, my, my top five. I think it was in like number four, number three, or something like that. Um, So initially I I, I wasn't too hot on it, but I enjoyed it. But there's something about it that made me kind of keep going back to it, which is strange because it is a very, very heavy, intense record. Um, So for me to be compelled to continuously go back to it and, and listen to it again and again, means that there's something special going on here and there is (laughs) there is something special going on here and i can't really to this day put my finger on what it is that is so special about this record that keeps me coming back to it again and again but it's there's something in the way that they have made just sheer overwhelming heaviness interesting that uh really interests me, I guess. Uh, It's one of the heaviest albums that's come out this year. One of the heaviest albums I've heard in a long time. But, it's done in an almost artful way. Where, the heaviness isn't necessarily, the point isn't to, you know, pummel you, or like, pulverize your eardrums. It's, it's, It's heaviness with intent. Um... And you can hear, listening to it, that when they go to these really extreme moments, uh, it's purposeful, and it, it's, it's meant to make you feel something. And not just like, whoa, this is so heavy, but it's meant to really, um, you know, compel you to feel intense emotion. You know, it's similar, in a way, to the Scarcity record, um, but whereas that's a record filled with movements... And uh, kind of ebbs and flows. This is a record of songs. Uh, And there are riffs, of course. there There are softer moments of acoustic guitars. But they're all about just kind of getting you to and from these moments of absolute sheer brutality. But it's almost like... I remember like a decade ago or so, maybe a bit more, um, maybe a bit less, (laughs) uh, this Between the Buried and Me record came out, um, I don't know, I think it was the Parallax 2 Future Sequence or some fucking stupid title like that, um, and the album cover depicted what looked like either two moons or two planets kind of about to collide, and listening to the record, there were moments that were really heavy on the album that made me kind of think of that image of the planets colliding, where the heaviness is, it, it's its a heaviness that goes beyond just kind of trivial human emotion. In um, like, heaviness that depicts something bigger and grander than, you know, typical just like Oh, I'm sad or I'm mad, you know? It it's it's heaviness that, that hints towards something bigger. What what that is, I, I'm I'm not really sure what it is. Maybe I had to read the lyrics to find out. But it's 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 a profound level of brutality. Which is hard to do. It's hard to pull that off and not just sound like you're intentionally trying to, you know destroyed our eardrums or just heaviness for the sake of heaviness it's uh there's almost a a mystical quality to it and you can see that on the album cover of this album which is kind of this almost robe figure almost like looking like a wizard in some forest and it kind of hints at that kind of otherworldly almost supernatural nature of the heaviness on this record so there's something really compelling about it, you know. It's it's almost like uh, metal and extreme music approached from a different angle, and you even see it in the album title, "Thought Form Descent." It's it's just very untypical, and it's it's familiar, but there's enough different about it that um, it makes you just keep coming back for more, and slowly but surely, this has become. One of, uh, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, pure heavy records of the year. So, coming in at number 18, we have Wake, Thought, Form, Descent. Once again, shout out Canada. Coming in at number 17, we have Grey Haven, This Bright and Beautiful World. Uh, yeah, honestly, I I, I wasn't... I, di- I couldn't see this coming, um, having a metalcore record in my top 25. Uh, it's a genre that I... Like, I loved every time I die, of course. Um, I loved the metalcore elements that Caven used to bring. But otherwise, not really a genre that I've ever really been a fan of. But the way that these guys do it, Um, there's something special here and it reminds me a lot of uh, high school in a way because these guys are making almost the same kind of southern metalcore that a lot of the bands back in those days were doing and those bands were huge back then Um, this is kind of like the updated version of that except it's, it's definitely a lot less shitty and what makes this band special is you could tell listening to this if they wanted to, they could probably very easily make a straight- up rock album. Um, they incorporate a lot of you know clean singing into their songs and all of these clean singing parts are extremely catchy, very hooky um, and you know there are even songs on here that you you could probably hear on the radio on some radio stations. But then they'll go back into being heavy metalcore guys and it's just really intense stuff, you know? So the way that they're able to be kind of really catchy and and really tuneful song crafts while also still retaining that kind of almost chaotic edge that all the best metalcore has is really impressive and has moved me in a way that not really any other bands of this kind of genre have done in a long time. Um... There are a few songs on here that I've gone back and revisited all year. And this is a record that I think came out in April or something like that. But even now, December, um, a lot of these songs are still on regular rotation for me. Because not just how catchy they are, and not just because of how heavy they are, but the way that they're able to kind of do both and pull both off seamlessly. It's, um, It's masterful. It's a, it, it's a sign of a band that has really finely tuned their craft over the years to make their best record yet. So, coming in at number 17, we have Grey Haven, This Bright and Beautiful World. Coming in at number 16, we have Birds in Row, Gris Klein. This is... a. Uh, Yeah, I talked about this one, I think, two episodes ago. Um, This is one of those records, again, and and I I mentioned this when I spoke about it on the previous episode. But it's one of those records that kind of um, is glass ceiling shattering. In that it's a pretty specific niche genre, um, post-hardcore. But despite kind of its esoteric nature, it's just so good that it 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 kind of excels beyond the confines of that genre in terms of thinking about it and thinking about where it stacks amongst all the other records that have been released this year. Um, you know, when you think about, you know, the best records of the year it it's it's kind of rare to to consider an album like this because you know it it's it's tailored for a very specific audience and it's 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 a it's a type of music that you know kind of requires a lot of context to understand um and fully appreciate but at the same time, I really think that you know almost anyone can listen to this album and if they have the stomach for you know heavier, more intense type things could be really, really moved by this record. Um, As I think I mentioned the last time I talked about it, it's one of those records where if I had heard this when I was, like, 15 or 16 years old for the first time, like, I would be basing my life around this. Like, this would be my, like, Bible, essentially. This would be the foundation of my personality. I would probably buy 10 of their shirts Um, you know maybe I would beg my mom for a tattoo if I can get a tattoo of this band like this would become my life and that's because of just how much effort and how much emotion you can hear this band putting into every single second of this record from start to finish um I forget what the songs are called right now offhand and that's my bad but there's that stretch of songs um, about a third of the way into the record where the build-up from song to song and then contained within the one song in the last 30 seconds is just the best build-up and sweetest release of any record this year. And But the record is just more than that. It's not just that one set sequence of songs and that build-up. It, it just keeps going and it just keeps delivering over and over again and yeah there's a what's that documentary called This Band Could Be Your Life I think it's about Velvet Underground or something like that yeah you could do a documentary like that on this band and this album that's how much passion you hear these guys playing with and that's how much you kind of feel after listening to it so coming in at number 16 we have Birds in Row Gris Klein Coming in at number 15, folks, we're almost there. Just five more to go. We have... The Mars Volta with The Mars Volta. Um, this is easily my most unexpected, uh, selection. I was really expecting this record to suck. And to hate it. And at first, I thought it did suck. And I did hate it. Um... As the story goes, the first time I heard of it, I was uh, drunk on a plane at 10 o'clock in the morning, coming home from Newfoundland, and I thought that it was garbage. I was like, this sucks, I could barely get through the entire thing, and I written it off. And a few days later, I was at a friend's house, and he just happened to have it on, and something about it just kind of clicked. And I went home that night, and I listened to it again, And then for whatever reason, I could not get enough of this record and I listened to um, this record and specific songs from it on repeat for like weeks on end. And you can ask people close to me, like it got annoying. Like I would just keep playing these songs. Um, In particular, Blank Condolences and Vigil, which are I think in my top five played songs of the year. It's just, really interesting to see Mars Volta become this, like, Latin proggy dad rock band after being away for so long. Um, And not interesting because it didn't make sense, because it makes so much sense. Like, this is the obvious next stage of the Mars Volta and what they can do. But the fact that they did it so well, I mean, this band is always shown hints of excellent pop songwriting but I mean this whole album is like 14 songs and they're all basically um prog pop songs and and they all hit like they're all pretty good songs some of them are really really great songs so I mean maybe this album is getting a little bit of boost in the standings by just kind of how flabbergasted I am with how much I enjoy it and how good it is, because, you know, to have one of my favorite bands from when I was young, who slowly kind of released, you know, records to diminishing returns over time, um, to the point where you've basically given up on them, only for them to come back after a decade and release an actual great record, is pretty astounding. And a record not only that is great, but, is a very clear evolution of their sound that still sounds like them, but also doesn't sound like them at all. I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I can't really think of any other bands in my lifetime anyway that have done what the Mars Volta have done on this record. And, you know, for a while, I was kind of embarrassed to admit how much I like this record because, you know, the Mars Volta has gotten a pretty lame reputation over the years. Um because of all of their you know hijinks we'll say but you know what fuck that I'm proud of how much I like this record because it is a great record and I I can't wait to listen to Blank Condolences and Vigil for like the 300th time as soon as I finish this podcast so coming in at number 15 we have the Mars Volta the Mars Volta Number 14 for 2022, we have Perfume Genius Ugly Season. Um now, when you're kind of a weirdo freak like I am, this record is kind of the album that you want, well, that I want all of my favorite artists to make. Um Listen, I I I have tons of respect for immaculate songwriting. You know catchy hooks uh, all that kind of stuff I love it and on perfume Genius's last record before this one um, set my heart on fire immediately I think that's what it's called uh, he basically done that he made the best version of the music that he was making up to that point to date uh, the songwriting was tight the production was fantastic um, it was interesting And you can kind of tell that was the peak of, you know, the perfume genius kind of arc up to that point. You know, everything had been leading up to him releasing this collection of what were ostensibly his best songs yet. And that's great. The only thing in my mind that's even better than doing something like that is making a complete fucking out of nowhere left turn. ...into the weird and abstract... ...and making an incredibly daring, bold record... ...and then also pulling it off. Being able to do all of that is incredibly difficult, but he's done it with this record. Um, this record sounds absolutely nothing like anything he's released before. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be an accompaniment, or at least large parts of it, or accompaniment to a dance piece. And you can kind of see that, because... The first half of the record, especially, is almost entirely instrumental and full of orchestral sounds, and any vocals that you hear are heavily manipulated to the point where they're almost, um, It's very, very experimental, very abstract, um, but then when he finally does get into more, we'll say, conventional songs, these are, these are the best songs that he's ever made. And it all kind of comes to a head when he combines these two tendencies together into uh, Eye in the Wall, which is not just the best Perfume Genius song, but one of the best songs released this year. Um, it is a opus, to say the least, of, well, the first half being fantastic songwriting and then kind of... Uh, dissolving into a percussive kind of freakout that ends the next half of the song, and it really shows you the power that Perfume Genius has at this point in his career, um, his mastery over his music and his sound and his identity, and being able to do both of these things that well is something that you know takes years and years and years. Of practice and honing your craft to get to and that's exactly what he's done here he, he he did it he made it and you know a record like this is truly the sign of someone you know at their peak not only their kind of creative peak their songwriting peak but also their boldness peak you know He could have easily made another record like Set My Heart On Fire Immediately of amazing songs, and everyone would have loved it. But the fact that he chose to release this instead is just a testament to how interesting of an artist he is. And while I liked Perfume Genius before, after this record, I'm happy to say that I love Perfume Genius because this is the kind of move that makes me truly respect an artist um, and and make me a real fan for life. So, coming in at number 14, we have Perfume Genius, Ugly Season. Now, coming in at number 13, we have Elder, Innate Passage, another record uh, from last month. So, again, I won't go in too much detail about this one, because it feels like I was just talking about it yesterday, but I talked about the Young K.O. record being the most fun hip-hop record that I've heard this year. This might be the most fun general record that I've heard this year. It's just excellent riff after excellent riff after excellent riff, non-stop, start to finish, um... I've air guitared air guitar air guitar I've air air-gator'd more to this record than any other record this month. This year, sorry. And I, I really think that's all I need to say about this. Um yeah. If you're looking to bust out that air guitar and ride it until it's broken, this is the album for you. So, coming in at number thirteen, we have Elder Innate Passage. Almost there, folks. Two to go. So, coming in at number 12. Did I say, it? I meant 13 last time. I don't remember if I said 13, but I meant 13, because this is number 12. So, coming in at number 12, we have SZA, SOS. Um. Big shout out to everyone who released their year-end lists uh, before this album dropped because you're all are looking foolish as fuck right now because this is an album that deserves to be on everyone and anyone's year-end list because it really is just that good. Um, So it's been five years since Scissor released Control. Great record, very acclaimed, didn't do too much for me, if I'm being honest. Um, So while I was excited for this record, I wasn't really expecting it to do too much for me either. But I was very, very wrong. Because the leaps that SZA has taken between Control and this one is astounding, in my opinion. Um, While Control was kind of short and precise, I think it only had like 10 or 11 songs, uh, SOS is sprawling, bulky, ambitious. Um, But what it isn't is... Um, ...bloated. Which is so, so hard to do... ...in this day and age... ...when labels are forcing... ...artists to release... ...these, you know... ...20, 25 long... ...song long... ...albums to... ...inflate streaming numbers. Um, Because what happens then... ...is... ...you get a handful of good songs... ...and just a bunch of bullshit... ...a bunch of filler... ...and it just makes the whole record kind of suck because you can tell, it's, it's just so obvious, you know? You can tell that there were only really maybe five or six good songs and they just pumped out all these other songs to you know, get those streaming numbers up as much as they could to kind of gain the system. This is one of those records where I feel like every single one of these 23 songs actually has a place on this record. You know how many songs 23 is? It's a lot. This album is like 70 minutes long or so. Um, But there aren't really any points that I'm listening to it and I'm thinking to myself, "Eh, Yeah, I could have done without this song. I mean, I certainly have songs that are more preferred than others. You know, some songs that I absolutely love compared to some that, you know, I just kind of like. But I'm never really willing to skip anything, and that is so hard to do. (laughs) For 23 songs, no skips? I mean, come on, that's impressive. And not to mention that, but the fact that these 23 songs kind of are all over the place in terms of genre, I mean... You know, a large bulk of it, of course, is r and but she's just as happy to settle into trap mode. She's just as happy to settle into dusthead hip-hop mode. There's like a pop-punk song on here. There's like a, you know, like a, almost dell esque singer-songwriter song on here. Like, it really shows what a talent SZA really is, that she can kind of hop from genre to genre make it all sound cohesive and kind of all share the identity that this record has and man <laughs> you wouldn't be able to do that if you're not writing some compelling ass shit and I'll tell you one thing you can say what you will about SZA but she writes some compelling lyrics uh, she needs help man I don't know what else to say Uh, she's fucked up she's really fucked up. She might be one of the most truly, genuinely fucked up artists out there in terms of the things that she's writing about and singing about in her songs. Um, She's unapologetic in her sexuality and the problematic nature of her sexuality. She's unapologetic about, you know, making the wrong decisions. And while she's certainly... ...regrets those decisions, she also confronts them in a way that she's very open about having made those decisions. And, you know, she doesn't necessarily feel sorry for doing them. It's a record that, like, I would almost... Like, I really don't want to be this guy, but it's like a record that if I had a young teenage daughter... (laughs) I would maybe be a little bit uncomfortable about her listening to this record because the amount of toxic behavior that she talks about on this record is is, is nuts. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, like, you're, you're a terrible influence, you know? She talks about at one point how, you know, she loves it when her man drives around with uh, the gun in his lap and she wants that violent dysfunction in her life, like... Is this this really something that you want your kids to be, you know, admiring and living up to? But again, I I don't have kids, so I don't care. Um, I just enjoy it for what it is, and what it is is just brutal, unapologetic honesty to a point that no other artist is really doing anymore. I mean, Drake kind of used to be like this before he just kind of turned into a predictable douchebag over the years. Um... But no one's writing lyrics this kind of confrontational and, you know, almost funny, at times. Like the amount of times I'm listening to this album and I'm listening to what sing- is singing about and I just kind of chuckle to myself. I'm like, girl, you need you need you need therapy. <laughs> this this is I'm I I'm troubled for you. You know, I hope you figure it out because, uh, yeah, she just gets up to some wild shit on this record. But again, it, it just ties into what a weirdly masterful piece of art that the whole thing is. You know, it's, it's the toxic opus in a way that we haven't heard since maybe Hendrix by Future. And this is definitely much better than Hendrix, for the record. So coming in at number 12 for 2022 is SOS by SZA. One of the most fascinatingly toxic records that I've ever heard in my entire life. Okay, I really got to wrap this up. So, coming in at number 11, the final record we'll talk about today is Chatpile, God's Country. Um, When this record first came out, I was like this is it, this is album of the year for sure like this is the record for me without a doubt in my mind um, clearly it isn't because it has it fallen even out of the top 10 of the year but you know whenever I do listen to this record I understand why that was my frame of mind during my initial you know few listens of it because I think that this is probably the most important record that has come out this year Because, I don't know if you've noticed, but things generally kind of suck right now in, you know, society, (laughs) general society. And no other record comes close to encapsulating the absolute societal, cultural rot that we're currently experiencing than this one does. This really... ...brings you directly into the ugly, disgusting heart of North American culture and the way that we are right now. In a way that really, truly confronts you face-to-face with the the monstrous decay of society that we're currently going through. And it makes for an extremely uncomfortable listen at times. uh, Most of the time, I'd say. But that's what's so important about it. That's why it's such a great record. That's why it's so effective. Because they aren't talking about anything on here that isn't reality, you know? When they're talking about, you know, homelessness. When they're talking about the disgusting conditions of slaughterhouses. When they're talking about, you know, Midwestern drug addiction and, you know psychosis led by drugs and you know rampant crime you know familial murder all these kinds of things while they are brutally uncomfortable subjects this is the reality of the world that we live in right now we live in a brutally uncomfortable world and there are a lot of forces out there that are trying so hard to hide that from us to disguise all of these Harsh, uncomfortable realities from us and, you know, kind of you know, maybe drug us up in in metaphorical or literal ways so that we don't see it. To make us complacent to kind of the horror that we see all around us. But ChatPile rejects all of that. Instead they bring you directly into the horror to a point where you're confronted with it and you don't have a choice. Like when you put this record on, um, you're making the active decision to come face to face with the terror that is a part of everyday life in North America. Um, The, you know, the destitution, the extreme, you know, poverty, the, the way that some people in society are just so far removed from you know the abject conditions of modern life this is a band and this is a record that needs to show you what a disgusting world we live in it's hard to listen to at times um, but it's also important like we need to be Reminded of this and I mean we can be reminded when we turn on the news All you have to do is flick on your local TV and you'll see what a disgusting terrible place we live in Um, All you really need to do is step outside your door and you can see what a terrible place we live in But for them to do it in such a you know an, an artful manner and in a way to create really important compelling music out of this filth that we've currently surrounded ourselves with um, you know it's almost a positive in a way the way that they can turn the just disgusting conditions of our world into this noisy metallic rock that you know has a purpose and has a function is, uh, is really commendable and it makes me not exactly hopeful but If the world keeps getting worse, as long as we have bands and as long as we have artists that are able to create meaningful art out of the terrible conditions that we live in, I'm not saying that it makes it better, but you know, at least there's some good art to go with it along the way, right? (laughs) And it's sad that we've come to a point where, you know, that's what you got to take. ...from a situation is, hey, at least we got good art out of it. I remember when COVID was a thing, that's what everyone was saying for a while. Like, oh, at least we'll get some good art out of this. Did we? I don't know if we really did, to be honest. Um, But hey, maybe this is one of the best pieces of, we'll call it post-COVID art. You know, dealing with the fallout of the pandemic... ...and all of the societal and economic implications... That, you know, everything was already kind of teetering on the edge before COVID hit. And as soon as the pandemic started, you know, all those things that were about to be pushed into the extreme finally got that little push. And now here we are today. And what this album is, essentially, is just a surveying of the scene. And if you don't like what that scene looks like, if you don't like this music, you don't like what these guys are saying, I mean... That's your loss because this is just the reality we're we're faced with these days. We live in God's country, and that'll do it for this episode. Yeah, I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be short and concise, but I appear to have gone over an hour and a half. Can't believe I just sat here and talked for an hour and a half. Why do you guys even listen to this? I I don't get it. Um. Anyway. My voice start, is uh, starting to hurt. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up. Go to the gym. Enjoy my day. I hope you guys are able to enjoy your day as well. Um, it's been a hell of a year. I'm assuming next year will also be a hell of a year. Uh, and, you know, talking about these records is always a fun way to revisit the year. And kind of get myself back in the headspace that I was in... You know, six, eight, ten months ago. And see how that headspace has changed. So, we will conclude this season of PH5 with the top ten albums of the year. I'll also be talking about my top five favorite songs of the year in that episode as well. So, hey, stay tuned. You don't want to miss that. Um, yeah. That's it for me. Uh... Go rinse your ears out with soap, because I'm sure you're sick of my voice at this point. I know I sure am. This is Phil May, signing off, PH5. Thank you, as always, for listening.